I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Ben Hall. This week, we'll be discussing the efforts of France and Germany to reinvigorate their relationship at the heart of the European Union. Exactly 56 years after their predecessors, Charles de Gaulle and Conrad Adenauer, signed the Élysée Treaty of Friendship and Reconciliation, President Emmanuel Macron and Chancellor Angela Merkel this week in the German town of Aachen endorsed a new accord between their two countries. The occasion was longer on symbolism than substance, emblematic, critics say, of a sputtering Franco-German partnership that no longer drives forward the process of European integration but is still vital to a Europe convulsed by Brexit and a nationalist backlash in some capitals. Joining me to discuss the state of the relationship are Victor Mallet, our Paris bureau chief, and Tobias Buck, our Berlin correspondent. Victor, can I start with you? Why do they need a new treaty? Well, I'm not sure they they do. I think Emmanuel Macron, the French president, definitely wanted this. It was a big part of a blistering speech about European integration that he gave back in 2017, a few months after he'd been elected. And at that time, he was on a roll and he was really pushing for a much closer relationship with Germany and much closer European integration in all spheres, including defense and including the economy. And at that time, that wasn't quite as unwelcome or difficult for Angela Merkel and the Germans as I think it is now. So it was never going to happen as quickly as Macron wanted, which was to have a new treaty to replace the Elysee Treaty within a few months. But it did finally happen a year later. But there's no doubt that I think now the French are a little disappointed that it's not a bigger deal, that it doesn't have more concrete proposals in it. But it is at least something that you know, takes the process forward because the original treaty was really about basic reconciliation after the Second World War and sort of entrenching Germany and France as being at the heart of Europe and being friends rather than enemies and being allies. And this obviously is designed to build on that. And you could argue that it's not dramatic simply because it doesn't need to be because they are reconciled already and they are obviously cooperating extensively all the time on economic and other matters. But I think the French definitely wanted it to be more ambitious and it was which for Macron, at least, is a disappointment. Does this new treaty, the Treaty of Aachen or the Treaty of Aix-la-Chapelle, as the French call it, does it do anything new? Not much, I think. There is some stuff in there about cross-border cooperation, you know, to sort of ease the lives of the people who live along the border. But of course, the border is already open and this would simply make administration easier. They've talked about bilingual teaching on both sides of the border, that kind of thing. And there is a little bit on defence. There is a new Defence and Security Council, which will allow more military cooperation and more security cooperation on things like anti-terrorism operations. But mostly these are simply councils that will propose and discuss. There isn't anything incredibly concrete and new in there, I think. And that is the reason for the French disappointment. But on the plus side, this is a kind of message. And this is what the French commentators and the French government have been arguing. This is a a strong message that Germany and France, at least, are not held hostage to these nationalist right-wing forces that have grown up 
in other parts of Europe, including Eastern Europe and Italy, and to some extent, the UK, you know, this is France and Germany saying that actually, they do believe in integration, they don't believe in outright sovereignty and nationalism of an unpleasant and right wing kind. So that's the kind of message that this is putting across. But in concrete terms, there isn't a huge amount of new material. Tobias, the German government would no doubt happily sign up to that message that Victor just outlined. But this new treaty does sort of speak to German reticence, doesn't it, about deepening the relationship and deepening European integration? Up to a point, certainly. I mean, I think if you compare the Elysee Treaty with the Aachen or Aix-la-Chapelle Treaty, then the first obvious difference is that the first one was entirely about a bilateral relationship. And what France, I think, was trying to do with this new treaty was to sort of reorder issues that are actually located inside the EU. And now Paris and Berlin obviously are still the most important players inside the EU, but they can no longer dictate the tempo or the direction of the EU, first of all, because it's become much bigger and also because it's become much more diverse and indeed fragmented in terms of the political outlook. So that is a key concern for Germany. And I think where a lot of the Franco-German disagreements really depart from, it is that France is much more ready to push for a sort of core Europe, an avant-garde Europe built around the Eurozone. And the Germans are extremely anxious about losing Eastern Europe and losing Poland in particular. So one of the reasons why Germany was so reluctant to go along with the ambitious program that Macron outlined was because they were afraid of creating a much deeper east-west rift than already exists and now for obvious geographic, geostrategic reasons, Germany is much more concerned about that than France might be. So I think there are very important reasons and understandable reasons why this treaty looks so thin. I take your point about the German desire for European Union unity amongst all its members, but there's still a glaring omission at the heart of this treaty, which is that it barely even mentions the euro, and the euro is supposed to be the actual sort of pinnacle of European integration, the heart of the project. France desperately wants to strengthen it with more integration and more risk sharing, and Germany doesn't. Isn't that a fundamental weakness? Absolutely. But once again, there are fundamental differences of interest here. I mean, the first thing the Germans would say is, once again, Paris and Berlin don't exist on their own inside the Eurozone, but there's actually eight member states who've grouped together as the new Hanseatic League and who are, if anything, even more fiscally conservative than the Germans and even more reluctant to agree to anything that might look like a sort of financial transfer from the north to the south. So the Germans say, what's the point of agreeing a sweeping Franco-German plan for the Eurozone when we're actually not going to be able to carry along other member states with us? And then secondly, again, a sort of a fundamental difference of approach and of philosophy and of interest is that one of the reasons Macron wanted a deeper and faster Eurozone integration was to kind of show that Europe works, that Europe is there for workers, for the disenfranchised and so forth, to fight the populist right, in other words. Now, in Germany, of course, any move towards deeper Eurozone integration will do the exact opposite. It will just help the already rather menacing presence of the Alternative für Deutschland, the German far-right party. So, The fact that we haven't seen more progress is based on a divergence of interests here. Victor, the far right in France doesn't like this treaty very much either. And the Elysee was forced to rebut their claims that somehow the president, Mr. Macron, wanted to sell Alsace to Germany. This is all a bit absurd, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, it's clearly over the top, especially since the treaty, as we've said, doesn't really add anything terribly new. No, I mean, I think this was seen by the far right and Marine Le Pen in particular, the leader of the Rassemblement National, as a chance to sort of rally the troops ahead of the European elections to show how Macron it was selling Alsace and Lorraine, as the regions were, used to be called, along the border with Germany, along the Rhine, to the Germans and put them under German control. And that's clearly not true, nor is it true, as she claimed, that the treaty calls for France to hand over its seat in the United Nations Security Council to the Germans. It actually says that France will support Germany's attempt to get a seat on the UN Security Council, but it doesn't say that France would give up its own seat to do so. And I think in a way, it's good and bad for Macron because it shows that the integrationist message, the European message that he's getting across is symbolically important, which is why Le Pen is reacting to it. On the other hand, she can try to drum up nationalist support against Macron on the grounds that he's selling the country to the Germans. But actually, I don't think that particular intervention of hers has had much popular appeal. You know, it's been mentioned, but I don't think anyone's terribly excited about it. And I think it probably will die down now. There was a lot of fake news around as well about what the treaty actually entailed. And as we've discussed, it's not actually that dramatic in the way that it changes things. Although it does talk about euro districts, you know, on either side of the frontier and so on. Tobias, one of the things that did come across from the meeting between Mr. Macron and Mrs. Merkel in Aachen on Tuesday was the kind of warmth of their own personal relationship. Did the Germans still have faith in Mr. Macron? Well, I think you still have a lot of sympathy here in Berlin for Emmanuel Macron. I think he's certainly seen as the most serious, the most committed, the most ambitious leader France has had for some time. There clearly is a very strong personal relationship between Merkel and Macron, which I think we also saw the very emotional celebrations to mark the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War last year. However, his standing has been damaged severely, I think, as a result of the Gilets jaunes protests, and in particular by his decision to abandon his plans for tax reforms and bringing France into a situation where it will breach the 3% deficit ceiling mandated under Eurozone rules. I mean, this is very problematic from the German point of view, coming at a time when Brussels is in a struggle with Italy over its own budget plans. And I think it's interesting that despite the kind of disappointment in Germany, you've not had, I think, a single senior German leader coming out to criticize this, let alone condemn this. So there is a lot of sympathy, but clearly also there's a realization that he is no longer the towering figure that he appeared to be at the start of his tenure. And as Victor mentioned at the beginning, the one reason why you didn't necessarily need a big leap forward in this treaty is that the existing Elysee Treaty is already pretty effective. I mean, for all the criticism of the current state of relations, that framework really has brought the two countries together and they are still quite effective partners, aren't they? Yes, certainly. I mean, we spoke a lot about the divergences in interest between Paris and Berlin, but it's clear if you look at Europe as a whole that France and Germany still have much more in common with each other than they have with most other important players in Europe, especially now that the UK has decided to leave in the context of Brexit. So I think the real value of this treaty that was signed this week, as unambitious as it was, was that these two countries, which still believe in Europe, which still believe in the multilateral approach, which still believe in basically values that have underpinned the EU, still share a common view, 
even if that view is rather unchanged from what it was a few years ago. Very good. Thank you. That's it for this week. World Weekly is produced by Sarah Witt. Until next week, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.